we've been in this uh, semester's theme called Hyperlinked, and we've been connecting often misunderstood Old Testament passages with, I'm so sorry, Alyssa, that's right, right in your face, with New Testament passages that point to Jesus. And for me, it's been really healthy personally, just because uh, it's caused me to fall even deeper in love with Scripture. I think sometimes we can get kind of... Uh, so upset with the Old Testament, or it makes us feel so uncomfortable that we just don't deal with it, and we just skip over it, or we act like we didn't read it, or whatever the case is. And you don't have to do that with the Old Testament. Every single inch of the Old Testament, we believe, as an organization, is inspired. So that would mean all the difficult stories, all the difficult passages are, have the same weight and uh, are inspired from the Holy Spirit. So tonight, we're talking about Jesus' final words on the cross, and we're going to be talking about our own legacies. I think the top thing this semester, and even last semester, and the one before that, that we've dealt with as an organization, has been helping students figure what in the world you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Amen? So tonight's message is exactly what you need to hear. And you may not have an exact plan. Jacob and I are actually reading a giant book uh, on it, and you're welcome to read it with us. Uh, just trying to work through that. Like, what is the vision that God has placed in my, in my life? So link to a legacy is what we're talking about tonight. My wife and I have been married for 17 years. Adamola has a picture right there. That's us on Sunday, actually. And uh, during our first year of marriage, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, God has graciously allowed us to continue to be married for 17 years. One of the mistakes I made was I was hiding. We had a two-bedroom apartment, and I was hiding in one of the, the laundry room, and I waited till she came home from work because I got there before she did. I jumped out and went, ah! I didn't know that that wasn't a fun thing to do. Like, I'd been living with guys for four years at college. She, not, she didn't get violent. She just started crying. So here I am. I've been married two months. I've made my wife cry from jumping out and scaring her. Then I got a job in Pendleton, Indiana at a church, and uh, church was in awful shape at the time when we got there in 2007, so I was looking for something to entertain myself. Again, I hid in the copy room. And then our buildings and grounds guys coming in, I flip on the light and do the same thing to him. And he bows up like he's going to punch me, like this. I thought, this is when my life ends, you know. <laughs> and right as he's about to hit me, he goes, Andrew, you know not to scare a guy with a heart stint. You know, and I'm like, oh, man, well, I, 0 for 2. So then I'd ask myself the tough question, do I want to be known as the guy whose thing is scaring people? And I, I think... We all have to ask this question on a, on a serious uh, level. If What do you want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? At the end of my life, when all is said and done, what do I want to be known for? Have you ever asked this question before? At the end of your life, whenever that may be, what do you want others, when they think about you, what do you want the first thing to come to their mind to be? Oh, that's the guy that scares people and about kills them or makes them cry. Uh, what, what do you want to be known for? And many of us, 
if we have these three things, we feel like we've had a successful life, uh, we think. And we will be completely happy if we have these three things. Number one, if I have enough capital, if I have enough money, I will be happy. Number two, if I can retain my health for as long as possible, I will be happy. Number three, if I can somehow be well-known and be famous, I will be happy. But is that all that life is really all about? And I think if we're being really honest tonight, and we went through and we were able to ask every single person, whether it's forensics or biology or psychology or whatever ology you're majoring in, and we said, why did you pick that major? I, not to pick on Megan, uh, about said couch, that's not her name anymore, Chin. Not to pick on Megan, she's still back there. But when I first met her, I said, what do you want to do, Megan? I want to make a difference in kids' lives. That's why I'm doing social work. That's why I'm doing the fast track. MSW in one year so I can get to work and it's just been so cool to see her have that vision and anyway but what is what is life all about and so we're going to read we're only going to read two scriptures tonight the first one is going to be Luke chapter 23 verses 44 through 49 and Alyssa is going to read it for us this is entitled the death of Jesus it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what, had, er, what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Okay, so the, the first section, and we're just going to call it the legacy of Jesus. The legacy of Jesus. And we looked up a few famous people's famous last words. Uh, Billie Jean King. I think we said, uh, we did big things. Uh, I love you. She said, I love you to her husband. And then. He said, I love you too. I wish we could have done big things together. And then she goes, we did. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. The others that we found weren't as inspiring. Um, Pete Maravich said, I feel fine. and <laughs> Feel something. There we go. Pete Maravich says, I feel fine. And then he, he dropped dead of a, a heart uh, issue. Michael Jackson said, milk? Okay. Yeah, there we go. Tupac, uh, we can't repeat what he said. Something you. Uh, I'll let you fill in that blank. Don't, don't fill in that blank. Uh, Elvis says, I'm going to the bathroom to read. Kurt Cobain, this is just, you can just debate about this. Nirvana, it's better to burn out than to fade away. So what we're looking at tonight is the very last words that Jesus uttered before he died. He, of course, on Sunday was going to turn the, the tables on everyone. But Jesus spent six hours on the cross. Six hours dying for your sin and for my sin. Think about the sin that you would least likely want to stand up and share today. I have... Five, maybe ten. 
that you would not want to stand up and just say into a microphone, Jesus died for you for those six hours. And, to, and during the time those six hours, we get recorded with all four Gospels, we get seven sayings that he had on the cross before he, he died. The first saying that Jesus had on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I mean, that is amazing, right? Number two, he said to the, the criminal, two criminals, either side, one of them had a moment of realization that they were the guilty ones, and this man was not guilty. And he did like this primitive confession of faith, and Jesus is like, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Third, Jesus is concerned about his mother. Isn't that cool? How sweet. He say, and he, he says to John, this is your mom, this is your son. And he's probably worried about both of them because John was one of his closest friends. Number four, this is when it gets wild. He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. And what we're dealing with tonight, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, the last four of these, you've guessed it, are all songs. They're songs that Jesus has sung his entire life in synagogue and around the, in the street. Songs that he has sung his entire life. Psalm 22, 5, Psalm 22, 15, Psalm 22, 31, and Psalm 31, 5 that we're looking at tonight. I love this quote from Leon Morris. He says, the word rendered breathed his last is not the normal one for saying that someone has died. In fact, none of the evangelists, none of the gospels say Jesus died. Paul says that later which may be part of the a way of to bring about the tr that uh, the truth that in Jesus's death there was something most unusual. Have you ever heard someone say that when Jesus died on the cross, the Father turned his back on Jesus? Everybody, anybody heard that before? Uh, I was having uh, lunch at a Mexican restaurant with whom Alex and I would consider to be a Bible scholar because he's got like twenty masters, uh, and uh, he was. And he doesn't get mad. He's like a mild-mannered guy. His church is one of the churches that brings us a meal. And he got mad because we were talking about Jesus dying on the cross. He says, I am tired of people telling me that the Father turned his back on Jesus when he died. That is just not true. He said, quite the opposite. As Jesus is dying on the cross, the Father is pressing in closer, closer, the full wrath of all the sins of all humanity onto Jesus and the closeness and the intimacy and the horror was all right there on the cross. I thought, whoa, we're not just eating Mexican food. I mean, we're like, we're in this restaurant and I'm just like, I'm about to start tearing up. But Matt, Matt really made some good comments at this point. I'm going to give him credit. That this is Jesus' legacy. Three things. Jesus was intentional. Think of, think of the first three things he says on the cross. Father, forgive his torturers. Today you will be with me in paradise, the criminal. Third, thinking about his mom, thinking about John. He's intentional. He's thinking of others. Two, he is surrendering. He's laying down his rights. 
If anybody had the right not to die on the cross, it's Jesus. He laid it down. He laid it down for us. Three, sacrifice. He offered his body. We're told to do that in Romans 12, to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus literally did that. So the, the why I was very convicted. How is my legacy, my little legacy, how is it matching up with Jesus' legacy of those three things? Uh, right? Anybody else? Nobody else? I'm thinking, wow. And so that leads perfectly into Matt and what he's going to share tonight. So we're doing Link to a Legacy tonight, and I thought that I could start out with, like, just some general questions. But the big, the big one's the last one that I have. Um, it's just kind of basic, like, what's the legacy of an athlete, per se? Or what's the legacy of a musician? But most importantly, the one that I want you guys to think about is, what's your legacy? Um, I thought that in high school, I kind of peaked as a person. Um, I was well-liked by most of my teachers, most, most of my friends and students and stuff. And um, I was considered an optimistic and kind kid who um, just did well at the things that he was passionate about. Um, but recently... Um, one of those things was choir, and recently I had the opportunity to go back to my old high school and see a bunch of um, choir classmates that I had been in class with and just revisit with them, and it was really nice because I never really realized when I was in high school how big of an impact I had on those people because I was met with hugs, and I was met with I miss you's, and I was met with, you know, we wish you were back, we need you, and... I don't know, it just dawned on me that I may have had a bigger impact on them than I thought I did. Um, God has played such a big role in my life. Um, at the beginning of high school, I was kind of surface level. I didn't really attend church, didn't really read my Bible, and praying was on and off. And But I said that I believed in God, and I wasn't I wasn't known for my faith, I was known for playing basketball, and doing music stuff. Um, it wasn't until I was invited to church through a school function, which was choir, by my girlfriend, who was sitting right over there. Her name's Allie. Um, she was fortunate enough to be here tonight. And, you know, it just lit a passion in, in me to pursue God and go back to church and really find find my faith when I thought I had found it before. I never had. Um, but find my faith. I joined the worship team, and I made it a focus to go to church every Sunday and go to youth group and just be as involved as I could. Um, but now I'm at a stage where I have to start all over. I'm not in high school anymore. I'm in college. I'm a freshman. It's crazy. Um, but one thing that CSF and my church and just being in college has shown me is that, you know, I thought I was on fire then, but I've never been more on fire than I am right now. It gave me, it just, my yearning came back to know God. Um, and I think what made it really hard to follow God in my younger years is the fact that just my family has been through so many health struggles. 
I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 8. Um, and when I got to the hospital, they said if I wouldn't have made it there in a 20-minute time frame, I would have died. Um, my father was diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis. And his pancreas, 60% of it is dead. So he was also diagnosed with diabetes through that. And then my mom, a couple years ago, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And luckily, they were able to rem remove the cancer before it spread throughout her body. Um, but throughout these trials, I've been able to see God's purpose for my life and be able to really just lean on him. Um, my favorite verse is Jeremiah seventeen seven, and this is the NIV version. But it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And I feel like in the midst of our trials, that's when our confidence needs to be the most. Like, we, we need to lean on God as much as possible, and there will be reward in that. Um, you know, um, Andrew said earlier, God's legacy was of sacrifice, intentionality, and surrender, but it also includes his love for us and the love that we should have for him. You know, even though if we don't think he's there in our trials, he always is. Um, and then I've got another scripture that I like to read. It's Acts 38 through 39. It's Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for, his, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then I just think that, like I said earlier, leaning on God is one of the most important things that we can do. And tr always having trust in him is a big part of our lives. Um, so with that, I believe that the legacy that I want to have starts with him. And it should be our, anything that you guys do should be Christ-centered. He should be your main focus. You should do it all to glorify him. And that leads back to my sophomore year of high school where I attended a church camp and it was many days of crying during the worship and just being all in uh, that led me to choosing to be a worship leader. And that's what I want to pursue with a career. Um, and I just want to make a difference using, using what God has given me. And I'm trying to recenter my life towards God I, I stray away, as we all do, because we're human. We, um, we falter. We're not perfect. God is perfect. Um, but when I die, I want to be known as a man of God um, and not someone who is just here to take up space. But I just think no matter what you do, your legacy should always be focused on God. Thank you. All right, so our second scripture is Psalm 31, 1 through 5, which Daniel read earlier. We just can't read it enough uh, trying to wrap our mind around this psalm. So go ahead and read that again for us, Psalm 35, one, 31, 1 through 5. This is the NIV version. Daniel read the NLT earlier. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. 
Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Okay, so we have the legacy of Jesus. Now we get the legacy of singing, the legacy of singing. So over the past year, I have been like obsessed. I don't know if obsessed is the right word, uh, but I have been thinking a lot about the songs that we sing versus the songs that Jesus sung, okay? Um, I've been reading a book uh, that one of our student leaders' dad wrote. Shout out to Drew. Where's Drew at? I don't know. He doesn't like to be pointed out, but he's back there. His dad wrote a book about the Psalms. And I had already been thinking a lot of the same things that his dad has in this book. Now, his tradition, church tradition, they sing only psalms. It's called the Psalter. Uh, I've just been geeking out on it. But in his, his dad's book, he quotes a famous hymn writer, Isaac Watts. Up until the 1600s, churches predominantly sang psalms in all of their services. Look it up, right? And then uh, we've been pretty much writing our own songs, which isn't a bad thing. It's good to write our own songs. I think it's very healthy. It's, I, I, it's great music to drive to or sing to or whatever. But it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? And so check out what Isaac Watts wrote. And I think this is so good about the Bible and not just the songs that we sing. He said this when he's uh, describing why he wrote some of the songs that he's written He's, he's saying this about the Psalms. To see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of the whole assembly while the psalm is on their lips might tempt even the charitable observer to suspect, i.e. to question, the fervor of inward religion. That very action which should elevate us to the most delightful and divine sensations doth not only flatten our devotion, but too often awake it awakes our regret and touches all the springs of an easy an easiness within us. What's he saying? The, song, the songs make me feel uncomfortable. My songs make people closer to Jesus, right? And if you've read very much of the Psalms, they do make us feel uncomfortable. Much of the Bible makes us very uneasy. Um, and tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to just deep dive just a little bit into the song that Jesus sang with his dying breath, Psalm 31, verse 5. If you'll read the psalm, I want to encourage you tonight before you go to bed, it's 26 verses. Read through Psalm, psalm 35, and just or 31, 1 through 26, I think it is. Um, but if you'll read through verses 1 through 4, and you read it through the lens of Jesus being on the cross and his experience going to the cross, it's hard not to see the Garden of Gethsemane. What was Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? What was he in the process of doing? Praying. He was surrendering his will, wasn't he? Did Jesus want to die on the cross? Did his flesh want to die on the cross for the sins of all of us? I uh, know. You can see why. We talked about the wrath earlier, all the pain. Verse 5a, we see Jesus on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Then we, in verse 5b, the second half of verse 5, we see almost like this imagery of Jesus raised. Almost get the imagery of you have redeemed my life. 
almost the imagery of our salvation as well. The songs that Jesus sang, the, the book of Psalms, the songs that Jesus sang, dealt with real life, real emotions, its victories and its defeats and its doubts. This is what the Bible does. Will the Bible give you exactly what you want out of an inspired book? No. The Bible is going to give you far more than you think that you need. You need it all. You need the doubts. You need the questions. You need the cryings out. You need the praise. You need the depression. You need it all in there. Because all of us in our human experience, these are the things that we're dealing with. If you wondered why there's so many strange things in the Bible, it's because there's so many strange things in this life. Amen, anybody? We've seen it. We've lived it. God speaks to us right where we are in our own storyline. That's what he did in the book of Psalms. Right in the storyline of these people is when he spoke to them. And it, what it does is he can, t even today, this is why the Bible is inspired. It speaks to us even right now in our storyline. And this legacy of singing is not only uh, that says everything. It doesn't say everything is going to be easy as long as you project the song. I think I've even said that before. Shame on me. But I think what, what happens when we sing a song and it's grounded in Scripture, through and through, soaked in it. This doesn't mean that all the hymns do that, but the Psalms do. It's the most quoted book in the New Testament, from the Old Testament. Shouldn't we be singing some Psalms? Have you ever wondered about that in your services, how many Psalms that we sing? I want to say zero. Maybe there's a line here, a line there. So anyway, Drew's got me on an app. Now, I've been singing psalms, and Samantha's thinking I'm losing my mind. I'm, like, laying in the bed and, like, singing these old psalters from, like, 500 years ago. Um, it has been wild, wild, and it's been connecting me with Scripture in a way that I haven't been connected before. And so the songs themselves are honest about where we are. So Liz is going to share her story. Good evening, everyone. My name is Alyssa, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm also a freshman here. So needless to say, I've gone through a pretty big transition period from the whole high school to college experience that we all went through. So ever since high school, it's always that question of, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do in college? What are you going to study? Where are you going to go? And I have an incredibly long list of occupations that I thought maybe I'd take up. For a while, I wanted to own a bakery. I wanted to be a pilot. I was even looking into being um, a scientist in a lab and much more. And so it's always been a question to me about what I want to do because it's such a substantial question that you have to ask yourself at this time. So college rolls around. I do end up picking a major, and I think I'm all set and all ready to go. And then a couple months into school, I already get hit with a career crisis. So I'm a forensic science major, and we actually have an absurdly accurate repu reputation of being one of the highest majors to have a dropout rate. And I think I'm also in that same spot. So unfortunately, I'm back kind of at square one as to what do I want to do. 
And I wanted to read today, I wanted to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, because this has kind of been um, a stone that I've looked at when I've been trying to decide. So it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is that saying? So first 11, and this is actually, my pastor's currently going through Ephesians right now, and so this is kind of pulling from him. I'll give him credit. Verse 11 talks about gifts equi equipping saints. So everyone here has been given a gift by God. God gives everyone a gift, and so it may take some time to figure that out, which is kind of my problem right now. But gifts are equipped to saints. And then verse 12 talks about how saints take those gifts and they serve. Everyone is called to serve in the name of the Lord. And, um, and then verse 13 talks about the body of Christ being built up as a result. And so... I'm at this time where I don't really know what I want to do with my future, so I keep asking myself, then why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I sitting in Chem 105 when maybe I don't even want to be a forensic science major? Um, why am I in this forensics class if this isn't for me? Like, what am I doing? And so there's always this routine of that everyone goes through. You go to high school, to go to college, to graduate, to get a job. But then what, again? What are you going to do with that job that you have? So my prayer has become, God help me find my calling. Because if I do settle with a job and have an occupation, I want to be a vessel for God so that his work could be done through me and I may be the light of the world for everyone else to see. So that makes my main goal not what am I going to do with my life, but instead how can God use me when I do what I do with my life. So you've always heard this, or you always hear the saying, God has a plan for everyone. And he really does, and I am trying my very hardest to just trust in him and let him take control, because I am at a point where I am losing control, and it scares me quite a bit. But that's just because these decisions are very tough decisions that you have to make. And if I do switch my major, I'm not sure what I'm going to switch it to yet. But um, my perspective greatly changes when I allow myself to just simply live for God and let him work through me because alone I can't do much and I know that and I'm okay with that because then that means that God can use me to do much more. So if you ever ask yourself what am I doing? Where do I hope to go? My hope is that you can say I am going to go where God wants me to be. Thank you. So good. And we do have a lot in Kim 105. Some of you are meant to survive and go beyond to Kim 106. Some of you are not. So let's go back to the beginning of our message when we asked the question, what do you want to be known for when this life is all said and done? At the end of your life, what do you want to be known for? I think this filter and what we're talking about tonight affects every decision you make. Uh, your major, who you're dating, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live. Um, so I, I, I know that this is awkward, but let's unpack when we talked about the money, we talked about the health, and we talked about the fame. 
The things, if we're really, really honest with ourselves and our closest friends, those are the things that we really, really want as uh, initially when we think about life. As long as I have a flush bank account and can drive whatever I want and I can be, as, I can be healthy and I can have fame, I'm good. But what happens is you're going to get old, like me. I'm 41. And you're going to get older, God willing. And then you're going to have moments when the money vanishes. You're going to have moments when the health vanishes. We've already, a lot of us have already experienced this. And Matt just talked about it. You're going to have moments where you wonder if anybody in the world knows that you exist. How are you going to deal with those things? Well, if your legacy is built upon the things of this world, which the opposite of that is what Jesus' legacy was, the intentionality, thinking of others, surrender, laying down our rights, sacrifice, offering up your body. <laughs> I was talking to one of you last week, and I said, well, what about this and you, uh, for a career? And you were like, I'm really afraid that God might actually ask me to do that. Isn't that interesting? There's something in us. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. We can see maybe what his will may be in our passion, the things that's going to make us get out of bed in the morning, but it's so different from what we'd envisioned and what the world is trying to pump at us. You know, those of you who are going on to med school later and you're going to do the schooling and then the residency, not everybody's going to stay on that path, but some of you, God has called you to stay on that path to help lots of people. And I think we just have to be open and ready to obey whenever God gives us our, our legacy. And as long as we join Jesus in this legacy, it's going to be this rich legacy of singing psalms and being intentional, surrendering, and sacrificing our bodies. What will happen? We talked about this earlier. The three of us did. We're, we're not just talking about the next uh, 60, 70 years or 40 years, 50 years of your career and then whenever you die. We're talking about the next 2 million years. We're talking about the next 100 million years. Can you imagine it? Can you picture it? <laughs> Can you picture what the next 100 million years are going to look like? Because... That's the kind of legacy that we want to have. This life is so temporary, so short in comparison with eternity. We're just trying to prepare ourselves to live with Jesus for all of eternity. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray and invite the worship team back up, and somehow we're going to put their stuff back where it was. Um, but let, let's uh, stand together, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. God, thank you so much for tonight. Father, we thank you for being so faithful. Father, would you please uh, speak clearly to us? A lot of us have a lot of questions about our legacy and what we're going to do, what we're going to major in, where we're going to go. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to hear your voice tonight, to hear you speak clearly into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, what you created us to do specifically. We all know from Jesus' example, what, what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be intentional. We're supposed to be sacrificing. We're supposed to be surrendering. 
God, help us. Help us, empower us by your Holy Spirit to live the lives that you've called us to live. And it's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.